right, before I begin to the word, let me go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to share your word. I thank you that as ministers of the gospel, as pastors and missionaries, Lord, we, we have one of the greatest privileges that anyone on this planet could have, and that's to be your ministers, called by you, as, as, as Pastor Casey shared, Lord, to, to carry the great commission and carry the gospel wherever you called us. And God, I pray that you'd help me, God, to be a blessing today. Help me to encourage all of us here today in the calling that you've given us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the Lord laid the word on my heart, one, one word, I guess, about, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago when Matt had, had asked me, um, actually asked me a little bit before that, but a few weeks ago, the word faithful, just one word came to, to my heart, came to my mind, and it just kind of sat in me for a while, and I didn't know exactly where the Lord wanted me to go with it. I just had the word faithful. And so just through prayer and through asking the Lord, okay, well, how do you want me to communicate this theme of faithfulness? And he directed me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, but before we get there to 1 Corinthians 4, I just want to ask us just a few questions here. How many of us can, how many of you can relate to me in the struggle of comparison? How many of you can relate to me in the struggle of comparison with other ministers, with other, with other ministries, with other pastors? It's a natural tendency that we all have. That we all struggle to look at somebody in another church, look at somebody in another mission field, look at somebody across the road, some other ministry, and we think, I wonder what it's like to have that type of success. I wonder what it's like if, if God would place me in that situation or in that place. And we begin to, com to compare ourselves amongst ourselves, and, and that's, as, as the Apostle Paul says, is not wise. But here's the root problem in all of that, is that I think that we get mixed up in the assessment of our identity. And that we believe that, that it is important for us to be regarded by others in great ways. We want to be regarded by others as successful, don't we? Yeah. You know, I became pastor, uh, two it'll be two years in March at, uh, of Living Word Church there in Homa. And Pastor Renee was a faithful man for 38 and a half years. And if someone was to ask me, what is one of your greatest fears as a, as a pastor following in his footsteps, successful pastor? And my greatest fear is failure. Is that I think, what if on my watch, what if on my watch the whole thing just collapses? What if that happens? And then, you know, the, the reality is, is that the Lord reminds me that if it does, well, hey, it is what it is. It happens. Your identity is not connected in the fact that I'm successful or I'm not. And our whole gauge of what we consider successful, I think, is skewed by human realities. And we think success is rooted in numbers. We think success is rooted in the wideness of our ministry. And left to ourselves, this is, I wrote this statement down here, left to ourselves, we crave the affirmation that comes from the approval of man. Left to ourselves, we want it so bad today. I wrestled all day, all yesterday, all this morning. Oh, I want to do a good job today. And I thought, well, why do I want to do a good job today? So I can, can communicate well, so these people can think I'm a good preacher. And that's how we live. That's, that's the inner struggle we all have as ministers. And so the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 3, they were caught up in this comparison games. And you all know the text. Let's read 1 Corinthians 3 before we get to 1 Corinthians 4. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. The Apostle Paul says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, 
but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while, for, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? So what, what was the church at Corinth doing? They were looking at their ministers, they were looking at the apostles, and they were saying, they were comparing them amongst themselves. And they were saying, hey, Paul's my guy. He's the one that I follow. I like his ministry. I like his authority. I like how he does it. And I follow, but I follow Apollos. And they were comparing themselves amongst themselves. And you know what that creates in the lives of ministers? When, when the people that we lead do that, it creates that same mindset in us. And I believe the Apostle Paul gives the answer in the next chapter, in chapter 4, the answer to the problem that we all face as ministers of where should we place our, our identity? How should we be regarded as ministers? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Here's the text we're going to unpack this morning. 1 Corinthians 4, simple, two verses. Apostle Paul says this, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So in, in these two verses, I see three descriptions. I think I can only preach a three-point message in 24 minutes here. That's all I have time for. There was a lot of other verses I wanted to get to after that, but we got three descriptions of the servant of God. How should we be regarded as servants of God, as pastors, as ministers? The Apostle Paul gives us the answers right here. The first answer is found in verse 1, the first half there. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. So here's my first point. Regard me as a servant of Christ. Regard me as a servant of Christ. And when you look at the Apostle Paul's letters... He uses that word servant to describe himself in, in other places in his writings. And typically when that word servant is used, it's the word, it's the original word doulos that is used. And that word doulos, you guys know it, is, it's translated as the word slave, bondservant or slave. But in 1 Corinthians 4, it's a different word in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, regard me as a servant of Christ. And it is the word huporetes. And when you look it up in your Strong's Concordance, it literally means to row or an under rower or an under oarsman. I think there's some unique connection here with that word. I think that there's not an accident that the Apostle Paul used the word huporetes instead of doulos right here. Because there's an added level of description of how he sees himself. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the great Apostle Paul who we look at his life, we look at his ministry, we look at him as the greatest preacher that ever lived. How could he write what he wrote? Power and revelation. And he says, I am an under oarsman, an under rower for Christ. And what was an under rower? What was an, an, an under oarsman? In that day, it would have been the, the, the description of when you would look at a boat that would have three levels on a boat, a three-tiered boat. The under oarsmen, the under rowers, they were the galley slaves at the bottom of the ship. And I don't have to go into too much description to describe to you what that looked like, but they never left the bottom of the ship on their journeys that they went. And it was full of water and sewage and filth and it stunk. And all they did was pull their oar. The great apostle Paul, what is he saying about his life? 
He had all the reasons to brag, didn't he? A Pharisee of, the, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained by the greatest teachers. He had the greatest revelation, a vision of Christ on the road to Damascus. He, he saw the risen Christ in a vision. He had all the reasons to brag, but what did he say? He said, don't, don't compare me to Apollos. Don't compare me to other ministers. Don't compare me. If you're going to regard me, don't regard me as great. If I'm having a great revelation. Regard me as somebody that simply pulls the oar for Christ. We are all under rowers of Christ. We are all galley slaves who are called to pull our oar with one task, with one objective. It's to, as Casey said, advance the gospel of the kingdom. Our identity is not connected to our success. Our identity is connected to what God has called us to do. No matter how wide your ministry ever gets, and how many people you minister to in the life of your ministry, you're called to be faithful to pull your oar. And I, I, I personally believe that the day of the, of the megachurch and the pursuit of the, of the megachurch has, has lost its shine today. Because here's the heart of the gospel is to go and make disciples. When, and when the churches get large and the, the crowds increase, it's difficult to make disciples. So we shouldn't judge whether a ministry has a few people and another church has a lot of people and say that the one that has a lot of people is more successful in making disciples. I would argue that that, that might not be the case. We're called to pull our oar where God has called us. Our job is not to judge other people's motives, successes, or failures. Our job and our responsibility is to just pull our oar. James and John, you guys all know the story. James and John and their mother, they came to Jesus. And they wanted seats of authority in God's, in Jesus' kingdom. It's interesting that James and John used their mother. I just think that's so comical, you know, kind of like, you know, I, we, we think maybe we'll have, his, he's a, we've got the half-brother family thing going on here. Maybe we'll get some influence. But just in case, Mom, won't you come along with us just to, for some added emphasis. And let's see if maybe Jesus will let us sit on his right and his left and listen to this. They come and they ask. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord their authority over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you, consider successful, must be your servant. We must be an under rower, a a doulos, a slave of Christ. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when you think of me, and when you think of yourself, don't regard yourself by your successes and all the things that you've accomplished. Have a proper perspective. God, you've just called me to be faithful, to pull my oar. I am your slave. I am an under rower for Christ. The second thing here this morning, firstly, regard me as a servant of Christ. Secondly, regard me as a guardian of the book. Regard me as a a guardian of the book. I am a servant of Christ. But secondly, regard me as a guardian of the book. Look at the second half of verse 1 there in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. He says, and stewards of the mysteries of God. We know the mysteries of God are the, are the word of God. It's not hidden mysteries out there that we don't know and understand. God has taken the mysteries of who he is and he's revealed them most clearly through his word. 
And so if you, wanna, if you want to identify me, if you want to regard me as anything, regard me as a guardian, as a steward, as a protector of the book, of the book, of the word of God. So brothers and sisters, our stock and trade is the book. Our stock and trade is the word of God. This is our specialty. This is where the core of our ministry centers upon. It is the exposition of God's word. It's the explanation of scripture. God has spoken through his word. And our job is to explain it. And we do it through the Great Commission. We do it through the declaration of the gospel. But we do it through the preaching of scripture. I'm not looking to be regarded as hip. I'm not looking to be regarded as being in touch with cultural trends. You know, the culture changes constantly. After we leave this meeting here today, something's going to change in our culture that's going to be a new trend. I promise it'll be on social media somewhere. And you know what happens to us as ministers, as pastors? We get so caught up trying to keep up with what the culture is doing that it's a hamster wheel that you get on, and it will drive you crazy. Now, look, I, I, I am not... I'm not a proponent of going to the Stone Ages and, and, and just trying to do church the way they did it in the first century. No, I, we have lights, and we're going to install the screen as big as this thing next, this, later this year. And we're going to do all those things, right? But we're not chasing the cultural trends to make the message relevant. The message is not, is, is not going to be received, right? It's not going to be received as we think it would by trying to be hip and relevant. Jesus actually said that they're going to reject it. You know, Jesus walked the earth for three and a half years. I don't know, like 15 minutes left. Matt, how am I going to do this? <laughs> Jesus walked the earth for three and a half years. And listen, he was, the, he was the best preacher that ever lived. They said of Jesus, he, is, he speaks with authority. He speaks in a way that no one else does. And, and on top of that, what did he do? He had healed the sick and raised the dead. And what did they, what did they do to him? They killed him. So if we think, that we can outsmart Jesus. And if we think that we can do it better than Jesus, and if we think that by, by following cultural trends and trying to adapt everything to fit an ever-changing culture, we're deceived. The Bible says that the minds of the unbeliever, they, they are blinded by Satan. They have a sinful nature. They're doubly blinded. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that anybody is saved. And that's where the word of God comes from. That's why we preach the word. So don't regard me as in touch with cultural trends. I'm not looking to be regarded as a church growth guru. In fact, we've lost people in the last two years. We're shrinking. I'm not looking to be regarded as successful in the ministry. When you regard me, regard me as a guardian of the book, as a man of the word. Regard me as a minister who preaches the Bible. When people want to hear it and when they don't. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? It means always. It means when the hearing of the word is in season in people's life or when it's out of season, you just preach it all the time. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but of itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Regard me as a minister who preaches the Bible. Regard me as a minister who rightly handles the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, 
a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The word of God is still the foundation on which we build our lives and ministries. It's still the foundation. Culture is constantly changing, but truth is continually, and truth is continually being redefined. It's amazing today. Truth is continually being redefined. But what does God's word say about itself? Isaiah 40, the grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. But, but the grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of the Lord endures forever, will stand forever. The word of God is the means by which spiritually dead people come back to life. The word of God is the means by which believers are sanctified. John 17, Jesus prayed to the Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Regard us as guardians of the book. Regard me as a servant of Christ, a third level galley slave, and regard me as a man in the book. Regard me as a preacher who preaches the Bible. And lastly here this morning, regard me as faithful in all circumstances. Regard me as faithful in all circumstances. Let's go back to the text. Verse 2, he says this, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Amen? To be faithful. That's our aim. And I know, look, I know for some of you that have been in ministry for 30, 40, 50 years here today, I'm preaching to the choir, and, and you would want to sit down with me later today and encourage me to be faithful. But in the in the, in the shoes I stepped into, in the ministry I stepped into these last two years, I've been incredibly awesome and exhilarating and, and amazing. But I tell you what, man, the devil has, has run my mind through the, the, through the ringer these last two years. You know, and, and to be faithful, and I, I, I have times where I think, can I make it? I read statistics about pastors who follow founders. And the average lifespan of a second pastor from a founder is 5.25 years. And I just think, can I make to 5.27? Will I make it? And there's, I'm, I'm, last week, last week, you know the anonymous letter, we all get them, right? Got this anonymous letter. And I, and I knew better. It just said Pastor Ben Bufkin. There was no name on the envelope. Thought, well, maybe they, maybe they signed it this time. Of course, they never do. I'm, I'm, I'm learning this, and you pastors have more experience in, than, than me. You've already thrown it in the garbage can at that by, by that point. But I read the four handwritten pages, and I'm sitting there. This is Tuesday. I got staff. It's 9 a.m. Staff meetings at 10. I got pastors coming in to the office, and I got to talk about Jonah chapter two. And I got to be ready for, to talk about what we're going to preach on Sunday. And I'm ready to quit. I started thinking, what job can I take? I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm just, in two years in, brothers, sisters, faithful. But you know what changed? I love, I love God's faithfulness. God's faithful, even though we're not faithful. Sunday morning, this Sunday morning, we had one baptism scheduled. And we do it, we do it after the first song and so the youth pastor is baptizing this, this brother. He comes from a drug rehab program. And somebody got up, and we like to have either them speak and testify a little bit about their salvation, or they can let somebody else speak for them. And so this brother who was working with him in the rehab ministry got up and spoke for him. And he just shared that 
this brother didn't believe in God. He had given up on God. But God had saved him through the ministry of this brother that worked with him. And I'm just weeping as a baby on the front row there. And I'm just like, oh, God, God, forget the anonymous letters. Forget all that. This is worth it. This is what it is about. This is the reason why we do what we do. For that, for that one, as Pastor Casey said, for the one that repents, for the one that turns. To be faithful. That's our aim. And, and, and one of our greatest enemies of faithfulness is discouragement. And I don't know where you are today. And I can only imagine if I fast forward 10 more years into, into ministry, and, and by God's grace, I'm still at living word, how many stories are going to compound of discouragement and things that I will face and things that you guys have faced. Some of you, you've been in ministry for so long. And maybe you feel like quitting today and you think, brother, you, you don't know what's coming. But So, look, I know I just got started, but the truths are the same at year two as at year 50. So I don't know where you are. And if you're discouraged, discouragement is the enemy of faithfulness. It's the enemy of faithfulness. Have you lost your courage today? Have you lost your courage? You feel like giving up. You feel like maybe it's that mission field and you're here in the States and you're thinking, Lord, I don't want to go back to that country. I don't know if I can go back and face the reality that it seems like we've never grown. It seems like there's been only a few converts. Can I go back? Should I go back? Maybe this is a sign from God that I shouldn't go back. Nothing's happening. Again, look at Jesus. Everybody left him, and they killed him. Are you still alive? They haven't killed you yet. So here's what I think when I think about discouragement. I think about the Apostle Paul who wrote these words. I'm going to read this to you. 2 Corinthians 11. You all know it. Listen to this. This is what the Apostle Paul went through. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. Am I talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death? Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, stranger, danger everywhere. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of my on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Wow. I got an anonymous letter. <laughs> like seriously. Right? It get perspectives everything, right? I love what God's word does to us. It reminds us of what's true. And look what Paul says. At the end of his life, last letter he wrote, 2 Timothy. This is the last letter he wrote before his head comes off. 2 Timothy 4, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have he kept the faith. How did he do it? I don't know if he got anonymous letters, but he got far worse than that. How do you keep the faith with that? I was ready to quit last week. He was cold and naked, starving, shipwrecked. How did he make it? What's the answer? What's the key? I believe the answer and the key is that Paul had a vision of Christ. 
He had a vision of Christ ever before him. He was obsessed with Christ. He was obsessed with the glory of Christ. He was obsessed with the name of Christ. He was transformed forever. He was on the road to kill Christians. And Christ revealed himself to him, transformed his life. And he was set on a mission immediately, obsessed with the gospel, obsessed with Christ. It was his vision. So how can he say it? Because he had a vision of Christ. How can he say he kept the faith? Because he never lost focus of what mattered most. The glory of Christ was the center of his life and ministry. Everything else was eclipsed by the glory of Christ, by the beauty of Christ. Everything else paled in comparison to him. And I believe that in conclusion here that the most beautiful description of the love of Christ, of the beauty of Christ, of his work in our life, his faithfulness in our life, was written by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. And I want to read a long section here of Romans 8 as I end. I just want you to hear the word of God and think about Christ and his beauty and his glory. And if you're struggling here today, be reminded today that the source of your faithfulness and the source of your enduring is not in your own strength and your self-will to white-knuckle it through. The source of all of us enduring to the end and being able to declare like the Apostle Paul, I've finished my race and I've kept the faith, is that we have to remain with a clear vision of Christ ever in front of us. Romans 8, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And we will never again receive anonymous letters. Right? <laughs> For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. We groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit. Because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. What then shall we say to these things, to all of these trials and all of these stresses, to all of these worries, to all of these fears, to all of the, the discouragement? What shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep for the, to be slaughtered. The answer to the question is no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. A vision of Christ. A vision of his glory. A vision of eternity will eclipse every temporary thing that the enemy is trying to use to stop you in your ministry. And to discourage you in your ministry. So don't give up today. Don't give up tomorrow. Let's not throw in the towel. So how should we be regarded? Regard us today as servants of Christ. Regard us today as guardians of the book. Regard us today as faithful in all circumstances. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are the strength of our life. You are the lifter of our heads. So often, God, our heads are, are stooped down. and We're overwhelmed with circumstances that we face. And I pray for the one here today, the man or the woman here today, your servants that are discouraged right now. God, I pray that you would remind them that you are with them and that there is nothing that this world can bring or no attack of the enemy that can remove them from your hand. That you know the end from the beginning. You're a sovereign, all-powerful God. And you're in control. So whatever the circumstance is here today, lay it down at his feet. Roll over your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.